It is the final message in this series as we've been talking about Mission Possible. So you know what that means, right? A test. That's what it means, right? Final exam. A quiz on everything that you have learned and discovered about Jesus' mission that he's given to his church, that he's given to you, and how Divine Savior Church plans to pursue that mission. So go ahead. You have permission right now. Pull out your phones. If you brought a tablet with you, I know some people, they like looking at me like, you're joking? No, pull out your phones. There's a QR code on the screen. You're going to scan that code. And it's going to take you to a survey. If you're online this morning or you're listening to this as a podcast, we'll give you a pass, but you can follow along with us. So as you scan that code, it's going to take you to that survey. You're going to put in your information and then just wait. Don't start answering the questions yet because we're going to walk through this together this morning. We're going to go through each question together. Now, hopefully that's pulled up for you on your phone tablet, whatever you brought with you to worship this morning, and we're going to go through this quiz. See how you do, okay? So hopefully everyone's on it. First question, as a multi-site church, which phrase best describes Divine Savior Church? You're going to choose one of those, One Church, Many Campuses, a Chapel for Divine Savior Academy, a Loose Federation of Independent Congregations, or wait, there are other campuses? Okay, lock in your answer. And if you said one church, many campuses, you are one for one. Okay? All right, let's move on. Question number two. Mission possible of Divine Savior Church is to have the best children's programs, make disciples, start a new synod. Synod is a church body not familiar with that term, or find more teachers. I'll lock in your answer. And if you said, make disciples, you're now two for two. Question number three. Mission possible of Divine Savior Church is to add five campuses in ten years, which means we'd have ten total campuses in ten years. Build a worship facility at each location. Average 5,000 people in worship on a Sunday, in person and online. Host a campus in the metaverse. Okay. Got your answer put in. Some of you are probably just waiting until I advance. So you put the right one in. Average 5,000 people in worship, in person, and online. Okay. Question number four. If Divine Savior Church averages 5,000 people in, in worship, in person and online, what will be the biggest contributing factor? Believers worshiping on a regular basis, believers regularly growing in God's Word, believers gathering and encouraging each other, believers making disciples, believers planting gospel seeds, and inviting others to church. Biggest contributing factor. Lock in your answer. This one is all of the above. And question number five. We just got two more questions. So how are you doing so far? Doing all right? 
Question number five, if Divine Savior Church is planting gospel seeds, what does this phrase mean? What does it mean that we're planting gospel seeds? Does it mean that we're sharing how Jesus changed your life during conversations? You're taking opportunities to encourage someone with the gospel, volunteering at programs that introduce Jesus to others, making free time for unhurried discussions about Jesus. Put in your answer, it's all of the above. And your final question to show off your knowledge this morning. If Divine Savior Church is growing in God's Word, so talking about that phrase, what does that phrase mean? It means that we are regularly attending worship, part of a connect group or a Bible class, having devotional and prayer time, letting God's Word direct your thoughts, words, and actions. What does growing in God's Word mean? And again, that one is all of the above. So how'd you do? Did you ace it? Of course you did. Right? I got one. said aced it. Got them all. Six for six. Of course you did, which means that you are ready. Right? That means that next week I, I can expect that our worship attendance will double in size. That each of you are going to convert and change somebody's life. Five people this week, five of your friends, their hearts are going to be changed this week. Or maybe if it's not a total conversion, you're going to get into at least five unhurried conversations about Jesus. Or not. Um, Yes, I am being a little bit facetious up here this morning, but maybe just a little bit. Because I do wonder if even after four weeks of messages that have been focused on Jesus' massive, amazing mission that he has given to you, that he has commanded each and every one of us to carry out in our lives and together as a church, I wonder if there still might be some hesitancy No, maybe you won't just, after worship today, skip the snack line, leave the donuts, leave the muffins, even your coffee, and go out and find some lost soul and just start engaging them in conversation to talk about Jesus. Maybe there's still some hesitancy that you feel. Maybe there's still some fears in your heart that paralyze you a little bit. Or perhaps you're worried whether we can actually accomplish this. And might it be true that your life, rather than being filled with zeal for Jesus' mission, might actually be filled with apathy? That as much as we think about this mission and and maybe we want to be energized and we want to be ready to go and we want to be excited, maybe instead there's hesitancy, fear, worry, and apathy. And I don't think that those emotions come because 
you don't like Jesus' mission, or you don't want to be a part of it, now some of it may, because we all have to openly admit and confess that we do have a sinful nature inside of us that wants very little to do with Jesus and wants nothing to do with Jesus' mission to go and reclaim more lost souls for his kingdom. We have to struggle against that, but you also have a heart that has been changed by Jesus. Your heart has been changed as the grace of God has washed over it in this flood of love and mercy and the forgiveness demonstrated in Christ Jesus. And you, you have experienced that and you do want others to experience that too. You do want to talk to people about their Savior. You do want to participate in Jesus' mission. You do want to see more and more hearts and lives changed and come into the kingdom of Christ. So, where does the hesitancy and the fear come from? And I think that that hesitancy and fear comes because we might be afraid that we will fail. Each of you, you know your own weaknesses. You know that sometimes in your own relationships with other people that you don't always say the right thing in the right way. And sometimes you hurt people. Sometimes you aren't very clear when you communicate something and you know that you don't want to do that when what you're trying to communicate is the amazing gospel truth of Jesus. Maybe you know that you are not the most studied theologian. You know, you, you, just, you just hold tightly to those plain and simple truths that are contained in the Bible, and, and you love it, but it makes you afraid that you might not be able to engage well with another person in a conversation about Jesus. You don't know if you have those skills and that skill set. Maybe you're afraid that you might fail. Maybe you're afraid because you know that your own attitude and approach to worship, your own engagement with God's Word, whether it's in a Bible study group or your own personal devotional life, you know that the way in which your Christian convictions actually show themselves out in the life that you live in the world, you know that it isn't as holy and as sanctified as you'd like it to be. So maybe the fear and the hesitancy comes because we're worried and we're afraid that we might fail. Or maybe the fear and the hesitancy comes because we're worried and we're afraid that God's mission might fail. That God's word might fail. 
We don't want to experience disappointment in this mission that Jesus has given to us. And for some of you, you have experienced disappointments. And it hurt. You know that Jesus spoke truth when he told that story about the the field of wheat and and then the weeds that were growing up among it. You, You know that there is an enemy who is vehemently opposed to this mission of Jesus. And you know that Satan goes out there and he scatters his weed seeds as much as we want to go out and we want to plant gospel seeds. We want to share that message and we proclaim God's truth and we we cast our nets far and wide to our friends and our family members. We know Satan is right there and he plants seeds of doubt, anger, hostility, and distrust. And as much as we want to be growing personally in God's word so that we mature and so that we live out our life of discipleship more and more fully and completely and and so that the light of Christ can be shining through in our life to others, we know Satan is right there to try to mess with our hearts, to get us frustrated to incite division, to threaten our ability to cooperate together in this mission. And so maybe it's the disappointments that you felt and experienced that drive your fear. Because you know there was that, that one man who came to the outreach event And then you actually followed up with him, went to his home, and he was excited to see you. He was thankful and grateful for that. He welcomed you in. And a couple months later, you followed up again. And again, he was excited to see you, and he he welcomed you in. And and every single time that you followed up, he, he was willing to talk with you. And finally, he opened up to you about his experience with religion as a child, How it wasn't grace that he heard, but condemnation and threat. And you were able to share the gospel. And then they came to worship. And a couple months later, they came to worship again. And it wasn't every single Sunday, but they became more and more and more regular. And you could tell that God's grace was working in his heart. It was changing his life until something else grabbed hold of his heart and it pulled hard. And you didn't know how to stop it. Or maybe the disappointment that you felt is what you witnessed and experienced in the life of your own child whom you had raised to know Jesus, to celebrate his love, to see the value in gathering with other believers around his word in worship. And then she went off to college. And she met friends that didn't have that biblical foundation. 
And she sat in the classrooms of professors who abhorred that biblical foundation. And you watched in sadness as her faith was choked out by the things of the world. Maybe the disappointment for you came when it was your own spouse. The person who is supposed to be the partner together with you in this mission for your family, for your children. And suddenly they turned away from the truth. And as much as you love them and as much as you care about them, in that process they hurt you so deeply that you don't know if anything can mend that broken relationship, even the gospel of Jesus. Perhaps for you, the disappointment has come because you've sat in worship for many years and you've seen the various stages of a church's life. You've seen growth and you've seen decline, but lately it seems more decline. And there's been far too many of your friends who used to sit next to you and sing God's praises together with you who are no longer there. And you're worried about the future. What are the disappointments that you felt that cause hesitancy, that cause fear? In response to all of them, Jesus has the final word. Literally, it is the last words of Matthew's gospel. This biography that he wrote about Jesus. And as Jesus speaks those last words, he delivers a mighty promise to you. Jesus says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. When Jesus reminds you of just who he is. When Matthew had started off this gospel account, his biography of Jesus, he impressed upon his audience and on you and me how significant and special this little baby named Jesus, born in Bethlehem, truly was. He traced his earthly lineage all the way back to David, to whom God had given mighty promises, all the way back to Abraham, to whom God had given mighty promises, promises of a God who would come, a God who would be Emmanuel, God with us. A special name for Jesus that means God is with us and he is with us still. Jesus promises it. And so this mighty promise from Jesus, he says, I am with you, Emmanuel, that baby born in Bethlehem, he is the holy, righteous, and innocent Son of God. And he was crucified on a Roman cross. And he suffered the entirety of the just wrath of a holy God over your sin and my sin. 
clearing away all of our guilt, freeing us to live for our God. And then he rose again from the grave in powerful victory to assure us that eternal life is ours, his free gift. And even as our Emmanuel has ascended up into heaven to be seated at the right hand of God and rule all things for the good of his church, for your good, still, miraculously, Jesus is with you. He remains Emmanuel, God with us. Surely I am with you always. Oh man. Isn't that a comforting little adverb? No. It's one word for us in English, in the original Greek, it was three words all the days. Jesus is with you every single day. When it seems like his mission is going well, when it seems like it is succeeding and and we're planting gospel seeds and they are growing and we can celebrate that, it is Jesus' celebration and he celebrates with us. And he is with us when it seems his mission falls flat on its face. A church event is disastrous. A congregational leader confesses to indecent and inappropriate actions. A pastor resigns. That person that you had worked so hard with to to talk about Jesus' love and grace and forgiveness, and you could see it changing their hearts, and suddenly they go another direction, or spiritual immaturity shows through. And Jesus says, I am with you. Even then, I am with you. I am with you every single day. Both the good and the bad. The terrible and the amazing. I am with you. Now, Jesus doesn't just give you a mission and and command you to go and do it on your own. He invites you to come along with him on his mission. He is with you every step of the way. I am with you always. To the very end of the age. When Jesus reminds us that there is an end coming. No more work will be able to be done. No more gospel seeds can be planted then. When the end comes, it is the end. That is the harvest. And so this knowledge of the end, it gives urgency to the work that we do, to our mission. That knowledge of the end, it also brings comfort. Because the end will come when Jesus says, The end will come when Jesus has brought his work to its complete fulfillment entirely. The end is when Jesus declares mission accomplished. No sooner, no later. Because time itself is in his powerful and mighty hands. 
And so we eagerly look forward to that end because it will become the full and complete experience of Jesus' kingdom. And as you think about that end and you think about that experience and you think about all the wonderful blessings that Jesus has given to you right now, forgiveness, peace, eternal comfort and joy, also think about the people that you might bring along. The people that you might invite to experience that together with you. Think of the people whose lives could be changed by a Savior who promises that he will always be with us to the very end of the age. Every single day. Whether you are celebrating a church anniversary or you're reflecting because your church has had to close, that church that you've poured 15 years of your time and energy into, and you you go back and you question your decisions. Whether it's those days where, where you get up and you are just on fire for Jesus, you are ready, you come right out of bed, and you know that your vocation, your calling, it gives you so many opportunities to love and care and feed and nourish and proclaim the good news of Jesus. Or it's the day where getting out of bed is a struggle. And you don't know what your purpose is. And you don't know how you could possibly make a difference. On good days and bad, terrible and amazing, Jesus says, I am with you. Always. So another test today. three questions this time. Number one, when is Jesus with you? Always. Number two, when will Jesus leave you? Never. And number three, when is Jesus' mission brought to an end? When Jesus completes it. Take peace and joy in these final words from Jesus. The final words of this great commission, his great invitation to you to come along on his mission. And he says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And such a mighty promise delivers eagerness instead of hesitancy, courage instead of fear, confidence instead of worry, and zeal instead of apathy. Jesus invites us on his mission. Let's go. Amen? Amen.